Get your Bibles turned to Psalm 79, and Psalm 79 is a companion psalm with Psalm 74. Psalm 79, it speaks about devastation. Have you ever felt devastated in life? Felt like a situation in your life is just overwhelming. And the more you think about the situation, the more devastating it gets to the point you've got to shut it out. This psalm here, in Psalm 79, what we have is a situation where there is absolutely total devastation. In other words, all that was dearest has been taken away. Everything. I'm, talk, I'm not just talking about one or two things that are most precious in life. I'm talking about everything has been totally taken away. Now, you may have experienced some devastation in your life when you've lost a loved one or a friend or you've had a situation in your life. Have you ever felt dev devastated, just de-winded? This psalm deals with that. What do you do? What do you do when you get in that kind of situation? Just kind of go over this psalm with a bird's eye view and we'll focus in on it. It's divided basically by four verses. The first four verses tell the situation. The next four verses tell us about how the psalmist prayed. Now that's a simple solution, or at least it sounds simple in the ear, as far as to what to do when you're devastated, is go to the Lord in prayer. But yet, it's a real situation. When you get to the next four verses, what you have is that prayer expounded upon... And then it closes out with verse 13. So it's kind of a short psalm. The psalmist is basically appealing to God based on Israel belonging to him. Notice as just kind of going through this psalm a little bit at a time, notice how the psalm words situation. In verse 1 he says, Your inheritance. In verse 1 he calls it, your holy temple. In other words, this is personal with you, God. In verse 2, he talks about your servants. He's talking to God, your servants. In verse 2, he talks about your saints. Verse 5, he talks about your jealousy, your wrath in verse 6. Your name in verse 6. In verse 8, he talks about your tender mercies. In verse 9 the glory of your name, and for your name's sake. Then he talks about your servants again in verse 10, and he talks about your power. So he's appealing to God based upon Israel belonging to him. Now you know what? That's how we appeal to God, because we belong to him. We are his inheritance. We are His people. If you have faith in Christ, that means you are His. So that alters the way we pray and how we think. I want you to look at just a verse of Scripture over in the book of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 34, and down in verse 14, there God says... For you shall worship no other gods, for the Lord whose name is, what's his name? Jealous. 
His name is Jealous. And that's because he's a jealous God. That's a very interesting name. God is jealous, and ultimately he's jealous for his glory. Look in the psalm, Psalm 79, look down in verse 5. The psalmist is crying out, How long, Lord, will you be angry forever? Shall your jealousy burn like fire? In other words, God is a jealous God. There's nothing wrong with jealousy in the context of it being God. And here what the situation is, here's something that happened around 586 B.C. The Babylonians came in and invaded the land. God had spared Israel, the land of Israel, or at least Judah, Jerusalem, from the Assyrians back in 606 A.D. But here what happens just a few years later, the Babylonians captured Jerusalem. And they destroyed Jerusalem. In verses 1 through 4, what we see is those who survived that endured this war, they're the ones who are describing the destruction. What God is doing, God is ultimately promoting His glory and His name. They see what's happened, but there's a cause for what happened. And that's because of their sins, which the psalmist will confess here in this psalm. Because God is pursuing His glory, here is why He brought punishment to His people. Because they started going into idolatry, they started living in sin, therefore God had told them to be holy. They turned from God, and because they turned from God, God is holy. He's pursuing His glory. They have shunned God, therefore great desolation has come upon them. I want you to notice here in verse 1, the psalmist says, O God, the heathen are coming to your inheritance. Now that's these nations, the Babylonians, along with a mixed crowd, have come into God's people's area, their space. They've came into your holy temple and they defiled it. They totally wiped out that temple. The Word of God says they laid Jerusalem in heaps. In other words, when this Babylonian military, which was the major military force in that day and time, they came in and they tore down all the walls, tore down all the buildings. They're coming in with chariots and horses. They're coming in and you know what? When we read this, you can read over in 2 Kings chapter 25, you read the situation there. But a lot of times when you read history, you don't get the colorful picture and it's cleaned up real good in Scripture. What the psalmist saw was total devastation. No building standing. The temple's gone where they worshipped at. Notice it goes on to say, The dead bodies of your servants have they given to be meat unto the fowls of the heaven. 
the flesh of your saints unto the beast of the earth. In other words, he goes on to explain that in verse 3. Their blood had they shed like water round about Jerusalem, and there was none to bury them. In other words, when they came through and ransacked this city and this countryside, when they leveled Jerusalem, they killed people left and right. It didn't matter if they were infants. It didn't matter if they were women or if they were older people, feeble. It didn't matter. They killed them left and right. So as those that survived, they look out. What they see is they see a lot of death, a lot of bloodshed, a lot of people dismembered, loss of family, loss of children, loss of spouses. What ones that were not killed that are left behind surviving. The only other survivors would have been those who were taken captive. We cannot imagine how devastating war is. We've not been there. Here as they look out over this rubble, Israel had sinned. And the psalmist is simply praying that God would be glorified. You can't imagine the gruesome scene. Some of you saw on the news the October 7th invasion of Israel with Gaza. That was relatively very small compared to what we're reading about here. We're talking about thousands and thousands of people here. And they were called by the name of the Lord. What happened on October 7th, if you read some of those stories, and they still have some captive, it's not a pretty scene. So here what we see, there is, no matter where your eye looks at, there's death and destruction Many, possibly, the only ones left in their family looking, maybe looking for a survivor, can't find them. And the Word of God says in verse 4, we are a reproach to our neighbors, a scorn and a derision to them that are round about us. In other words, the surrounding nations saw what Babylon did to Jerusalem and to the Israelites. And they became a mockery. These nations made fun of them. And so the psalmist cries out, how long? I want you to look back in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 28. In Deuteronomy 28, way before Israel settled into the promised land, in Deuteronomy 28, down in verse 14, there we read... And you shall not go aside from any of the words which I command you this day to the right hand or to the left to go after other gods to serve them. But it shall come to pass, if you will not hearken unto the voice of the Lord your God to observe to do His commandments and His statutes, which I command you this day, that all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. And then he goes through a list of all the curses. Look down in verse 25. 
I'm not going to go through all the curses. But in verse 25, it says, The Lord shall cause you to be smitten before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them and shall be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth. This is what's happened to Israel. Your carcass shall be meat unto all the fowls of the air and unto the beast of the earth, and no man shall free them. What the Word of God is showing us here is God is a jealous God for His glory. He alone is worthy of worship. And what Israel had done, they had started following false idols and false gods. They started worshiping that which is not worthy to be worshipped. What God desires is God desires to be worshipped. God pursues His own glory. God desires, not only deserves, but He desires to be worshipped. God's ultimate motive ultimately is His glory. Now, you know what? If it was anything else, he wouldn't be God. He'd be worshiping something else besides having the worship come to him. But he is God, and he alone is worthy of that worship. So the psalmist cries out, how long? How long is this chastening, this punishment going to keep on? He says, will you be angry forever? Shall your jealousy burn like fire. The psalmist is crying out to God, and here's the place where you must go when you have no other place to go. Notice what he says in verse 5 and 6. He's asking God to take vengeance. He's asking God to intervene. He says, pour out your wrath upon the heathen. That's those that know not God, that have not known you, and upon the kingdoms that have not called upon your name. Why? Because they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his dwelling place. He's asking for God to measure out divine punishment. What he does, in verse 8, he confesses past sins. He says, remember not against us former iniquities. He's talking about the forefathers those who had gone on before them. Lord, remember not their sin. And then he says, let your tender mercies speedily prevent us or go before us. For we are brought very low. In other words, the psalmist is confessing his sins, but he's also admitting that because of their sins, they are brought very low. Here's what sin does to you. It brings you down. It builds a wall between you and God. Sin separates. The psalmist basically cries out for God's mercies to be upon them because their iniquities have brought them low. So he calls out in verse 9, Help us, O God, of our salvation, for the glory of your name. In other words, he's saying... God save us. Can you imagine being 
Brother Josh being over in Afghanistan, you probably saw some rubble, some demolished places. Can you imagine if that's all you saw and there was nowhere else to turn to? So he cries out, God save us for the glory of your name. Here's the purpose that he wanted to be saved. And that was that God's name might be glorified. In other words, God is jealous concerning his name. And the psalmist is also jealous concerning the name of God. The purpose of salvation is that God might be glorified. And then he says, deliver us and purge away our sins for your name's sake. He's asking for forgiveness and restoration for the glory of the name of God. God has great zeal. That word zealous and jealous, I think they're cousins. God has zeal for his name, the glory of his name. He's jealous concerning his name. So God has great zeal for his own glory because only God is glorious. There is no one else, nothing else, glorious like God. Therefore, he alone is worthy. The psalmist basically is humbling himself. He said they're brought down very low. He confesses their sins. He confesses the... past sins of the forefathers, present sins. He's asked God to punish that heathen. And the heathen he's asking God to punish are the heathen that God used to punish them. Think about that. What he's saying is that God used wicked men the judge's people. All of sin has to be judged. And often the agents of sin are the greatest sinners. The Babylonians did much worse, but they had less light. But because they attacked God's people, and ultimately defied God, they had great sin. So the psalmist is calling for God's divine retribution to be brought down. There was a saying, it says, people who have been brought low. Think about people who have been brought low. In the Word of God, you could think of different ones. Job was brought very low. You think about David. He was brought low because of his sins. You can think of others. There was Joseph who was brought low. Jeremiah sunk in the muck all the way up into his armpits. Even you yourself, if you think about it, you've been brought low at points in your life. God has ways to humble us and to bring us low. But when we are low, when we are brought down, there is still a God on high. 
for people who are low. Boy, that's good. He'll keep us from sin. He keeps us for his own. And it's when we are very low, that's when we should look way up high. Yeah, you've probably heard the saying, sometimes God puts us on our back, so we'll look up to him. And sometimes God does that. God wants us to look up to him. Why does God forgive us? Why would God forgive you of your sins? What good is there in you that God should forgive you of your sins? Notice the truth that the psalmist says in verse 9 once again. Deliver us or save us. Purge away our sins. Cleanse us from our sins. Why? For your name's sake. For the sake of your glorious name because you are holy. Here's the whole purpose of salvation, that God might be the more glorified. Listen to what it says over in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. Over in Ephesians, the second chapter, and down in verse 4, the Word of God says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sin, In other words, spiritually we're dead. God has so much love and mercy. He comes to us even when we are dead in sins. The Word of God says, has quickened us. You know what that means? It means He's made us alive. God does that. You don't make yourself alive. I've yet to see anyone in my lifetime make themselves alive. I've seen some pretty dead people. But you know what? Only God can give life. Here it says He's quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. And He's raised us up together, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. You see why God saved us? It's because of His great love, but it's to show forth in the ages to come His exceeding riches of His grace, the great wealth of His grace in His kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. Boy, you know what? That ought to make you happy tonight. You're probably tired because it's midweek. But you know what? If you see the love of God and His grace being poured out upon you to the point where you are spiritually dead and He's giving you spiritual insight. You were spiritually dead. Now you are affected by spiritual things. You are spiritually dead living your own way, doing your own thing, now you desire to live for the Lord. You see what that quickening does? It changes your heart and changes your life, and it makes you a child of God, and you desire to serve the one true living God. God saves for His namesake. Help us, O God, of our salvation for the glory of Your name. Deliver us or save us and purge away our sins for your name's sake. 
It is all for the glory of God. In verse 10, it says, Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is your God? Let him be known among the heathen. In our sight, by the revenging of the blood of your servants, which is shed. In other words, they were mocking God's people, those who survived, saying, Where is your God? The psalmist says, Let the heathen be known. Let God be known among the heathen. Let them see by the revenging of the blood of the saints or the servants that was, that was shed. As his psalm comes to a close, what he does, he prays for those that have been captured. He says, let the sign of the prisoner come before you. Babylonians, what they did, what many nations did when they conquered another nation, they would often take them into captivity and they would bring them back to their homeland and integrate them among their people. Here's what's happened. Some of them they would take captive and they were assigned to be put to death. The psalmist knows all this, so he calls out and says, Let the sign of the prisoner come before you. According to the greatness of your power, preserve those that are appointed to die. He's praying that their life would be spared. These condemned to die, he's praying for God's great power to intervene. The psalmist knew God had that power. Didn't matter if it was in Babylon or in Israel. God's power could save even those who were appointed to die. So he prays for them. And then in verse 12, there is more retribution he prays for. He says, Render unto our neighbors sevenfold, or seven times into their bosom, their reproach. How they've reproached us, may it come back on them seven times more, wherewith they have reproached you, O Lord. In other words... They were mocking God. And the psalmist is saying, let your vengeance come upon them or pay back to them seven times as much. And then the psalmist makes this plea or this pledge in verse 13 in closing out this psalm. He says, so we, your people, and sheep of your pasture, will give you thanks forever. We will show forth your praise to all generations. The psalmist says, very simply, as you act, O God, we will continue to praise you and praise you and praise you forever and ever and ever. What happened in Psalm 79 that the psalmist is writing about was that God's people started following false gods. The Word of God tells us in Matthew 6, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Then all these things will be added unto you. Same principle in the Old Testament. Seek God first. Seek His righteousness first. Then all these things will be added unto you. 
over in the book of Romans, and we'll close with this verse. It says, For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. It's unto God. It's through God. It's to God are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. That's the psalmist's desire too in Psalm 79, that God's name would be glorified forever and ever. May that be our heart's desire. God's got a zealous desire and motive to glorify his name. If God has that desire, we as his children should have that desire to glorify his name also. May we live in such a way that God is glorified in us and through us that others may see and fear. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, as we read Psalm 79, we know there were some atrocious things that happened when Babylon invaded Jerusalem. We know death was dominant. We know destruction was laid out and leveled out all throughout the city. And yet all this happened because in your word you said if your people depart that they would suffer in such a way. Lord, we as a nation have departed in many ways. As your word says, we've each turned to our own way. Lord, we pray that you help us to see that upon Christ you've laid the iniquity of us all and that it's only through him we have peace with you. So we pray that you'd help us to be zealous to glorify your name even as you have zeal for your name. And we'll be careful to praise you forever and ever and ever. Amen.